right, mic check, mic check, Mortar Masters Podcast, y'all's main of course. I got a special guest across from me, man, got the DA, Jared Williams. How you doing, man? What's good, man? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Um, first and foremost, I want to thank you for, uh, you know, putting time aside to come do the, do the podcast. I know there's been, I don't know if you know, because you're busy, man. It's been like, to me, maybe like two years in the making. And I say that, uh, I've been saying that a lot lately because I was taught I was lying about something one time. And I don't think people realize like how much it takes sometimes to actually you know, get schedules aligned so you can do this type of stuff. So you yeah. can do it the right way and not just rush it. Um, but I remember, I think you just yeah, first got in the office and a guy named Jarrell kept saying, I want you to have the D. I I want you to have the D. I got a, I got a homeboy in this camp. I said, all right, look, whenever, whatever you want, right? And of course, like I said, busy things came up, you know, it was crime, all this other stuff coming up. And then one random day, I don't know if you remember, but uh, I had did uh, Ben Hassan on my podcast. Yeah. So he came to my house one day. He just was in the garage. And he said, and I, was, I ended up mentioning, like, yeah, I'm trying to get the DA on. He's like, oh, yeah. He just called you, like, right then and there. And then you called back, and that was it. Like, yeah. <laughs> it was just that simple. <laughs> so shout out to you, man, because I know that's a, that's a very, very busy job. Um, before I get into your, your background and stuff, I want to I wanna know, like, just tell me, what is, like, the job of the DA? Sure. So the district attorney is the chief law enforcement officer for the circuit. So our circuit is now Richmond and Burke. When I ran, it was Richmond, Burke, and Columbia. Okay. And so what we do, um, if you're doing it the right way, is whenever there's an arrest or an investigation, sheriff's office, you know, does their work, they gather their evidence, they write a report, and then they submit all those documents and all the evidence to us. And we look at it, and really what you have to do is you have to answer three questions in the affirmative. So number one, did law enforcement follow the law themselves? You know, we all have these constitutional rights that are triggered by an arrest, right. and law enforcement has to do the job the right way or else the case is gone. Mm. I say if you're doing it the right way, that's how you do it. Because that's not always the way it was done before. Gotcha. Um, and so that's that's question number one. Question number two is, is there a basis to believe that the person accused of the crime actually committed the crime? And you've heard that before. It's called probable cause. Right. And then the third question is specific to prosecutors. We have to ask, well, is there, do we either have or are we likely to have in the future proof beyond a reasonable doubt? Uh, because probable cause is like, it's a really easy standard. It's just more likely than not. But beyond a reasonable doubt, it's the highest standard in the legal system. So, for instance, um, if the government's going to take uh, someone's kids away from them and terminate their parental rights, the standard for that is clear and convincing evidence. Beyond a reasonable doubt is even higher than that, right? And so, um, really, if you can answer those first three questions in the affirmative, then the prosecutor, the DA, has a lot of discretion as to what happens next. Uh, we largely decide whether and how we're going to charge a case, um, what court it should go into. Um, we're the ones that make a recommendation to the judge about whether someone should be held in confinement waiting for their trial or whether they should be released on bond. Um, we are investigating the case as well, kind of for our own purposes, because, like I said, the standard's a little higher than yeah. what... Uh, your law enforcement officers in the street are working on. Um, but we decide whether a case should should be uh, negotiated or likely if it's going to go to trial. Um, how much leniency do you want to give somebody? Do you want to give them a second chance? Or do you want to take them all the way, you know, throw the book at them? That's, that's all within the discretion of the DA. 
Got you. Okay. Sounds like a lot. <laughs> it's not a clear cut answer. You know, like some jobs are like you do X, Y, and Z. This is like, it seems like a lot of extraneous certain circumstances around even the one thing y'all might do that day, you know, like mm-hmm. the one decision, whether you, you want to give somebody leniency. I feel like you have to take that into account with so many other things. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, it's a lot of different interests, man. So you have to think about a lot of different, um, I mean, just the, the decisions that we make in this office impact more than just the person whose name is on the file. Right. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, Jared Williams might have uh, committed the crime, but does Jared Williams have kids? You know, does he have a mom that's going to miss him? Does he have a job that's going to be missing an employee? Does he have um, a mortgage he's got to pay? Whatever it might be. And so you have to recognize that the decisions that you make are all, um, they're all connected. And so you're, you're creating a ripple effect. And part of what I believe my job is, is to make sure that um, those ripple effects don't create more crime in the process. Mm. Because a lot of times people don't think about it, but for the longest time they were saying, well, mandatory minimums, let's lock up people for drugs, right? Nonviolent drug offenses, lock them up. Well, the ripple effect is that's a whole generation of kids who were raised without their fathers, who Mm. were raised without someone in the home who could provide for them or teach them how to be a man. And now you're wondering why you've got some weak men growing up, right? Yeah. Um, and so it's all about if you're going to do it the right way, finding ways to prosecute crimes that actually make people better and less likely to commit crimes as opposed to creating the conditions that make them more likely to come back. Mm, that's, that's actually a good answer. That's, that's very, very uh, detailed, too. It's layered. There's a lot of layers of that. Um, so it kind of works on the other end, too, though. So, like, so I take a lot of heat sometimes because... Um, I will plead down a case if I think the evidence, uh, if for for whatever reason we think we're not going to win that case. Um, And the reason you might do that is different because the ripple effect on the opposite side is this. So it's popular and probably politically smart for me if I just try the case and lose it. Because then I can say, well, hey, I, I wanted the max punishment and I took them to trial and the jury let them go, yeah. right? Um, but the problem is that doesn't make the neighborhood where that guy is out here committing crimes any safer, right? So it might be a serious charge, like a murder, uh, where the person could face life in prison. But if I'm looking at the evidence, having been a prosecutor and been a defense attorney, if I'm looking at it and I'm saying, no, nah, we're not going to win that one. Um, but the guy, I, what, what I can prove is a burglary, well, then it makes sense to get the sentence on a burglary, and it might be less. It's not going to be life because you can't get life on a burglary. Um, but that protects the kids in that neighborhood, and it protects the single parent that's trying to, to, to keep their kids safe yeah. better than if we just take it to trial and lose. You know, And so, again, the ripple effects can work the opposite way. Yeah, I've always wondered that when I see somebody have multiple charges like that, but then just one sticks because we see a – we don't see the full story, like even even because I'm a criminal justice major. Even when you go down there and you can get all this information is free. You can get the right letters to the judge. You can get the sentencing, all that stuff is just free information. You have to pay yeah. nothing but printing the paper. So you go down there and you see it. But even with all the information, there's still like bits and pieces you just don't know because it's not in there. It's not saying why uh, this murder charge just didn't didn't go through or whatever. You don't know why behind it. There's no um, 
there's no there's no paperwork for that to say, hey, hey, this, I know you're wondering, but this is why it's, it's nothing like you just got to know or you don't know. I'll give you an example, man. So we had a case that's done now so I can talk about it. Um, but we're looking at it and the way that it was presented to us when it was when we got it from law enforcement was, well, there's a fingerprint, there's a shoe print and there's an eyewitness. I mean, slam dunk case, right? Um, of course, indicted for murder, go forward. Well, fast forward, we're getting ready for trial, and the fingerprint doesn't match the defendant. The shoe print doesn't match his shoes. And the eyewitness is hiding out in another state, don't want to talk to us, mm. right? But, yeah, we're, we're fairly confident this is the person who committed the crime, but we also know that he's not going to be convicted. And so the question is, do you recommend something that can at least protect the community for a little bit, or do you just wait and, and, and just, just try and, and appear tough and end up, you know, him walking, getting to, to walk through the street saying he beat a body, Yeah, you know? And there's a lot of weak people who aren't willing to have that conversation because they're so afraid of what it looks like, you know, that, oh, um, you know, the judge accepted that plea, let's say, you know, and, and they're so afraid of the appearance and what they're going to say in the media that they're not thinking about how it impacts the community around that person and the kids that grow up next to him and the activity that he might be doing. It makes sense. It makes sense. Um, so normally I don't I don't start that way, but I want them to get information from you that you know your stuff, right? Yeah, we so, got deep real quick. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> Let me draw back a little bit. So uh, just t tell the people like about yourself. Um, you know uh, where you're from, your upbringing. Let's let's talk about that real quick. Sure. So I'm from Augusta, born and raised. My dad okay. is a pastor. Well, when I was growing up, he had a lot of jobs. So he was he was a pastor on Sundays, but he also uh, worked at Augusta College, uh, and he was a mechanic at night. So um, he worked a lot. And then my mom worked night shift at the hospital. She was an x-ray tech. Okay. Um, but he, my, my dad started a ministry called Miracle Making Ministries. And it started off as an inner city mission, kind of helping people with rent assistance or transportation, food, whatever, um, you know, programs for kids and things like that. Uh, but over the years, it has grown and it's now an international mission um, so that serves people out in Africa, in South America, and uh, in Eastern Europe. And so my mom actually works for the mission now, and she, she runs the Druid Park Community Health Center, which is a, a resource for people who either don't have insurance or don't have enough insurance. Mm -hmm. um, rather than going to the emergency room, they can get referred to the clinic, and there are doctors who, who work for free, who volunteer their time uh, to help people who otherwise couldn't get good access to care. Okay. Describe yourself. Like, how are you as a child? Like, uh, you the oldest, youngest sibling, so only sibling? I am the, the youngest of two. Uh, my sister is, is older than me, and I point that out to her all the time. That <laughs> um, she's the old one, and I'm still young. Um, and so she, uh, she actually lives in Texas, and she's got two beautiful girls uh, that I hope I get to go see soon when this campaign is over. I'm going to go, uh, oh, yeah. go see them. Um, and then, I, yeah, I'm so... The youngest. So what was that? Just a dynamic. I know earlier, just a minute ago, you were speaking about, uh, you know, kids growing up without fathers or your dads um, due to crime, whatever the case may be. Um, how was your relationship like with your parents, your, your mom, your dad? What was that like for you growing up? I mean, it was good. It, you know, so when you get to our age, you can look back and, and see how blessed and privileged you were. 
Um, yeah. And I was definitely, I, I had a very privileged existence and, and I don't, I see that and I know that. And I, you know, I kind of knew it at the time because with my dad working in ministry, like I went to, you know, a, a private school and, and kind of the way I was joking about it earlier is I went to, to school on the hill and went to church in the hood, you know, and so <laughs> I, um, I, I, I had kind of the sheltered experience at school, but then in the community, especially, I mean, every weekend we were doing some type of block party, doing something. Um, and then where my dad's church was as well, I just got to see both sides, yeah. of, both sides of the community. Um, and so I was really fortunate to have the parents I had, but of course at the time I didn't necessarily feel that way. Um, and so we had our, I was, I was probably the rebellious one of the, the two of us. You seem so easy going. It's, it's kind of, <laughs> uh, it's hard, hard to see you rebelling right now. Hey man, I'm really easy. If you just leave me alone, let me do what I want to do. <laughs> <laughs> so like, I, it, so when you say like rebelling, like, was it like, uh, you wanted to do other stuff you thought, I guess was, was cool at the time, but you maybe couldn't do it. Maybe parents were more strict or just knew better that to put you in those kind of situations. Yeah, so my parents were pretty strict. I mean, they're, they're super, like, they, they didn't drink. They didn't cuss in the house. Like, I grew up really kind of constricted like that. And we were at church every time the doors were open. Oh, wow. Sometimes when the doors weren't open. Um, and so... You say your dad's a pastor? Yeah. Okay, oh, wow, yeah. I'm sorry. So yeah, I'm, not, yeah. I mean, I'm not saying I'm sorry. Hold <laughs> up, let me, let me draw back. I just, I've, I've dealt with my grandparent being a pastor, and I, I was not really a fan of how much you had to go to church it feels like you're being force fed. I felt like I was there more than I was home mm. when I was with them. So I was like, I'm thinking to stay home. Yeah. Y'all can kick it. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I, I definitely kind of went my own way. Um, and I, uh, I learned, had to learn the hard way that my life doesn't really work and it doesn't stay on the tracks if I'm not uh, actually engaging with my faith and, and actually trying to be in God's will. But as a young person, I wasn't feeling that. I was trying to do whatever I could. Yeah. And I was, you know, I wanted to have fun. I wanted to be with my boys. I wanted to do, <laughs> you know, uh, crazy stuff. And so I'm very fortunate that, that I didn't have one of those negative encounters that I could have had. Yeah. As a, as a, as a kid you, in school, you did any sports? Like, like, what schools did you go to? Like, what's your, what's your background in that? Yeah, so uh, I went to Westminster. So we didn't have a football team at the time that there wasn't a football team. And I was like, I'm trying to look at some something around here that was a comparable size to me. I was 300 plus pounds, you know, so um, I was not very athletic. Um, <laughs> and so, yeah, I'll just leave it. I was not athletic. I've been, what, um, <laughs> what attributed to that, though, like the weight? Like what, what attributed to you being, cause was that, is that normal? Like you, know, mm -hmm. you, said, you were 300 pounds no, in high school? I mean, school? I was abnormally large. I, I think... Uh, it was just a, I don't know. I just didn't. You just chilled all the time? Like you just didn't do nothing? Or? Man, I mean, I really love food. I still love food. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That makes sense. That makes sense. Um, but like, so I, 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 you're running a community, right? At, um, being younger. What's to define, uh, I guess, Augusta um, to you and your eyes during the time of, of middle school, high school? Like how, well, how was it like versus now? it felt like there was nothing to do. And I don't know if kids today still feel that, but at the time it was like, you could go to the movies, you go to Applebee's, like what else are you gonna do, you know? <laughs> um, and so 
I, I remember feeling kind of constrained and, and being really ready to go to uh, go to college and like really get out on my own. And I thought that I was ready for that. And then I learned that I was not ready for that. <laughs> well, that got to suck. Um, did you did, like, did you, so you went to Westminster. Um, you didn't go to no public school at all then? Uh, elementary school I did. Okay, okay, okay. So, but most of your time was just ducked off pretty much. Mm-hmm. And what about college? Uh, so I went to Georgia College in Milledgeville. Okay. And so that was okay. my first time being out of the house, kind of being on my own. And I definitely lived that part out. Okay, cool, cool, yeah. cool. Well, it, it was cool until grades came out. <laughs> what kind of student were you? That's a good question. What kind of student were you? Uh, so I was the student that, like, with the exception of math, because I'm awful in math, for every other subject, I could just kind of show up and do all right. And so I kind of coasted through high school with that. Um, and then... I had one teacher in high school who like who knew my game like he could just read me and he would always say it's like that's not gonna work in college it's not gonna work in college you know like I can tell you didn't study for that test and you passed it but it's not gonna work in college and sure enough man his words were prophetic so that first semester man I I very nearly got put out of school that's how bad my grades were Jesus Christ like I had a 1.1 and then um, the second semester, you know, I got my act together and I had a 3.1. But, like, it was just having to learn that I really had to work. Yeah. And I had to actually at least attend class, you know. So, um, at the, like, when you went to college, what you, what you went to school for? What was your, what was your major? What was I originally went for history. And then um, I ended up switching to political science. What made the switch? Or what was the reason behind that? Man, all right. So one is I, I, I thought I wanted to be a professor, like be a history professor. And then I learned how hard that job is. Like, it's just you're reading the most boring stuff, man. And, and um, <laughs> you know, the, my, I think the professors in the history department really wanted to make a point to, to kind of weed people out. And they got me. Um, but then also I really wanted to graduate on time because I told you I had a rough first semester. And so, um, in order to do that, I changed my major and, um, political science was just way more my speed. Right. I just, I loved learning about, uh, the people who thought up these different political systems. And I started to notice a trend as you're learning about all these political theorists, most of them started out in law. And a lot of the people that you read about that changed the world around them, they all started out in law. And so that's how I ended up going the law school route. Okay. So it, it, going the law school route, is, is that something you want to do? Like you wanted to change the world, change the environment around you, your, your community? Was that like the first thing you thought when you went into law? I, so, so I didn't necessarily know that I wanted to be a practicing lawyer. What I knew was the, the pattern I was seeing of people who had made a difference and so I knew I at least wanted the legal education. Mm. And then, um, you know, one of my biggest, uh, I can't call him a mentor because I don't know him, but one of my biggest uh, role models was Barack Obama. Because when I was in college is when uh, he ran for office the first time, okay. ran for president the first time. Um, and so just I wanted to, 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 to have that level of impact because he just really inspired me. 
uh, speaking of Barack Obama, I'm gonna ask you, what what do, do y'all do you feel y'all y'all possess any similarities? Man, I, I would hope so. <laughs> I would hope so. I, I don't know that I can claim that. Someone else is going to have to claim that for me. Um, but I, I guess, you know, he started out in a really small community type role. He wasn't necessarily, I mean, he started out as a senator. He didn't start out as president. Um, but I just feel like he was willing to, to look at his surroundings, which at that time was Chicago, and to say, I'm going to make some difference. And I mean, that's that's part of why I ran for district attorney was because, I mean, I was comfortable in private practice. I was doing well, um, but I felt like there needed to be change. And I just felt like I can be that change. I can help bring that change along, um, even if it's not a big thing, you know, just trying to, to make a difference for the world around me even if it's just our city. Well, I don't think nothing wrong with that. I, I, I definitely would say um, just your poise. I think I see that when you said Barack Obama, I, I just thought of that, the poise. And then some okay. questions I have later on, I, I kind of see that um, resemblance somewhat. But I want to get into, like, the, the law right now. So I seen that, you know, you posted them. Um, it was something about um, do, being a DA, DA's intern. I think you did, like, a 10-year challenge, something like that, right? So walk me through it. Tell me like how, how I know you went, you went to school for, for, for political science and you wanted to get into law, but like at what point did you become an intern for the DA? And, to, and then to even take that the step further to think you can do that or want to be in that field? Yeah, man. So I started out, this would have been 2011, which was the summer after my first year of law school. Uh, and I was just coming back home, and I really wanted a, a legal job somehow. Uh, and so I took the internship at the DA's office, which isn't paid. So I would get to the courthouse at 8.30, I'd work until 5, and then I'd rush to my grandma's house, take off the suit, put on an apron, and go wait tables until about midnight. And I would just do that all summer. Um, and so that way I could, I could learn, you know, from the lawyers during the day and then actually make some money at night. Um, and so I'd actually did that for two summers. And my second summer, I was able to uh, actually try cases and like be in court and, and you know, th something that we call the third year practice act. Okay. Um, but I guess the, the day that I decided I was going to be a prosecutor was actually during my first year uh, interning. And uh, what happened was we were in the Friday meeting, which is a, a, a weekly meeting of the attorneys in the DA's office. We still do it to this day. And um, I remember the, the prosecutors, the ADAs, were talking about a case. And in particular, they were talking about this kid who, um, who looked like you and I. Uh, and he had just graduated the University of Georgia, top of his class. And he had gotten a full-ride scholarship to Georgia Tech. Uh, in the engineering uh, master's degree. Mm. And in the summer between, uh, you know, graduating Georgia and starting at Georgia Tech, he gets pulled over in Evans with a gram of marijuana. Mm. And, I mean, I just remember listening to the conversation of what the prosecutors were talking about, and it's like they were they didn't care at all that this guy was going to lose his scholarship and, you know, he, he wasn't going to be able to become 
the engineer that he was called to be, that he wouldn't be able to, to build that that generational wealth for his family the way he, he otherwise would have. I, I mean, they were just kind of mimicking the, the defense attorney for even asking that they dismiss the case. Mm. And I remember thinking then, well, if I become a defense attorney, I'm always going to have to ask a prosecutor to do something for my client. Whereas if I'm the prosecutor, I just get to say, you know what, I'm going to help this kid. Um, and then... You know, so so that was the day I decided I was going to be a prosecutor, and then I, I really got frustrated when I realized that there were some people who were going to get their case dismissed to save their scholarship. They just had to look a certain way, or they had to have the right last name, or come mm. from the right side of the the railroad tracks. Um, and I just I did not like seeing how uh, the justice system was not working the same way for different people, um, and so that's probably part of why. I stepped away from the law for a little bit. Okay, but that, that, I mean that that's that's a that's that's a common, I think common practice. For most people they see something. Um, I had a, a lawyer on here um, probably a couple years ago in the height of COVID, um, Bianca, and I think she even got into law because of something with her brother, and she practices law in Atlanta now and stuff like that. But a lot of times you see that it's a personal experience, a epiphany, just something that happens. You like. I have to do this, you know. So yeah. it's dope to hear that 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 side of it because uh, I didn't really I didn't really know. You say you didn't you didn't you didn't play sports. You know, some people are competitive, you know. So I wasn't sure like your your background, like where did law come in at? But now I'm seeing this the change, and then also also another change. That's just uh, that's a change uh, just in society wise. So, um, so I eventually did play sports though. Oh, you did? Yeah. So not in high school, not in college, but um, so I told you I stepped away from the law. When uh, so I was an assistant district attorney, and I decided I was going to move out of the country. I moved to Spain, and I lived there for two years, dirt poor, like you know, I mean, like saving up coin chains to go grocery shopping. Um, but I was teaching. I was teaching as a public school teacher, and they would give you like a, a small stipend every month um, so that you could stay over there. And so they give you a visa. And so while I was over there, I found rugby. Which I don't know. If <laughs> I've seen. I, I've seen. I don't know nothing about. It. I'm not gonna lie. It, it's it's basically it. football without the pads, uh, and the ball goes backwards instead of forwards. That's what um, Carlton. He was playing that in in Fresh Prince. I don't know if you've seen <laughs> a new Fresh Prince. So I'm just, I'm just. That's what I. That's what I remember. Uh, it was. It was only a matter of time before I got a Carlton joke. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> um, so you, you so. History-wise, um, I, I like to do stuff like during the month for Black History. Now, um, you are Black History. Um, not sure if you, if, I'm, I know you know, but I'm not sure if you're familiar now. They, they this is what they say about you. Uh, the first Black uh, DA in Augusta. Um, wow. Like, how does that feel? What does that mean to you? Just not don't don't take DA take DA out of it, but take first Black. When you hear first Black, what does that what comes to mind to you? Responsibility. Ooh. I mean, it's just knowing that you've got to do it right and you've got to be above reproach and, um, and, and you've really got to try and bring some people with you too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I feel like it's, first black is when I'm like, um, I'm not going to say damn if you do, damn if you don't, but it's, it's hard because you're the first one. Mm-hmm. You know, so you kind of set the tone for, for anybody that may come after you. Um, and then also, like, if it's not done before, like, that's just what it is until it's done again. 
I mean, so let me tell you, bro. So, um, so my predecessor, the, the lady that I beat in 2020 to take this office, um, in 2019, her trial stats were like, she won 48% of the cases. Her office won 48% of the cases. Now, fast forward, you know, we have COVID, the court shut down. The first full year of jury trials, we won 80% of the cases, right, at trial. So by any metric, we're better at convicting criminals than ever before, mm-hmm. right? But what do you always hear? Soft on crime, thug sympathizer, <laughs> you know, not, not tough enough, doesn't lock up enough people. You know, like it's all the, for some people, perception is reality, yeah. You know, now the difference is while the same time that if you're out here shooting at people or uh, or or messing with kids, violating women, whatever, the same way that we're going to put you away for that. I'm out here creating a pre-trial diversion program so that the next kid who's about to lose a scholarship gets to keep his record clean. Right. Mm. Uh, we're creating programs like the Checks Over Strikes program. I'll tell you about that in a little bit uh, that helps people become better as opposed to making them, you know, putting them on probation, giving them a bunch of rules, but then not giving them the tools to succeed, you know? And so like the same day that we're out here getting a, a, a conviction in a murder case, I'm also across town signing an MOU with Augusta Tech so that we can help first time felons uh, get their education, get their GED and stay out of the system. You know, um, that's the piece that people don't really realize. And so for me, going back to the first black thing, I know that what comes with the territory is a whole bunch of people who aren't going to trust you, mm-hmm. a whole lot of people that aren't going to um, to believe in you or, or they're going to try and tear down your work just because they never meant for the face of justice to look like yours, you know? But with that comes the responsibility to do it the right way and not worry about those people um, because the people who put you in that position are the ones that you really need to worry about and that you need to be working and fighting for them. Definitely, definitely. I definitely I like that answer. And I like that approach to everything you just said too, because um, like when I ask questions, I'm just I'm gonna be honest with you. When I ask people like, hey, any, any questions for Jerry? Any questions for Jerry? That's the one I seen was like, ask him do he think he's tough enough on crime? So <laughs> you said it, and it's funny because I had that question like five in five of my threads. Um, and I think like you said, um, if 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 reason why reason why like, doing this podcast is, is a big deal to me, um, besides the first black and it's being Black History Month, and I'm a black platform and. I also I also often see um, on other platforms that I don't support, so I don't say names too often. But on other platforms, I just feel like you, like all you get is a bad rap, nothing else, you know. So the stuff you just mentioned, if you don't say it now, we won't, we won't know about it. And right. if if we get all our information from said platforms, right? You know, right. Um, and you would think because you are the DA, uh, you would think because some of these platform support, um, I'm going to say the sheriff, and they give him Q&A or whatever the case may be, uh, you would think that uh, it would be some kind of uh, uh, togetherness, you know, unity there. Um, it's a big uh, disparaging gap I see in just how um, people, uh, our people may be portrayed in, in the media. And luckily for me, I don't go off that, you know? Yeah. And I always told myself, I said, when I interview him, I want to interview him just to him. I don't care about necessarily like cases or why this, why that. I just want a somebody to get a fair judgment of who you are just based off just talking you know i appreciate the opportunity no and that's always been my thing um i've seen it like since since 
I mean, since before you, this when, this when, I feel like once you won, it was a wrap. Like, I don't, I don't care what you would have did. You said 80%, right? I've never heard that before. I never heard that you did 80% or y'all won 80% of the cases. What I do know is you won with some bitterness between, you know, whatever society. I think you said in the beginning it was over Columbia County. Mm-hmm. That's not a thing no more, right? That was quick, right? That was real quick. I've never seen anything happen that quick before. They filed that paperwork before I got sworn in, man. <laughs> but, but me actually, I, I hate to jump the, no, yeah, I jumped the gun for now. Uh, yeah, like, how, how did that make you feel during that time when it was, you winning, you should be basking in celebration. And it's like, hey, hold on, yeah, no, we don't, we don't want them. No fair shot. Yeah, I mean, so that was the thing that I think stuck the most. Well, well, really, two things. One was, um, you know, my folks live out in Grovetown. So, like, I, I was running to be their DA, too, mm. and now I'm not. Um, but then, two, uh, it was the piece of, like, I hadn't even, I was at new DA school, which they do the month before you get sworn in, like, when that news broke. So, like, I'm here trying to learn how to do the job and I'm already getting people opposing me and, and kind of judging me before I even get in the, the, the position. So, um, you know, that was the piece that kind of stuck out. But um, I'll tell you this, man, like we are one community, whether you believe it or not mm -hmm. and, and whether you want that to be or not. I mean, you might live over there, but you work and you play here in Richmond County. Right. Um, and then, you know, so we're, we're close to, to Burke County. You know, Burke County is in my circuit, too. Um, but I mean, we are all one community and we're sharing some of the same problems and some of the same issues. And so um, I think sometimes it's short sighted to to um, to do that. But on the other hand, you know, the reality is when you're not forced to. Uh, cater to those who already are, are intentional about disagreeing with you and mm -hmm. are, are, are determined not to see progress. Um, I mean, it, it is sometimes a, a weight lifted. Um, I was going to ask you, like, you know, that was a question I had was why didn't Columbia County, Columbia County want you? But I think a better question is, um, like, just the media aspect of things, right? Um, from that side of town, rather. Um, without even... I just feel like it's never a thing where you hear any good. I was trying to look for some good articles today. I'm not going to lie. I was trying to look for some, right, to see, like, maybe somebody said something good. I'm just not seeing it. I found maybe one, and it wasn't just good. It, just, it was, like, conviction, but it didn't really put that you did anything good. It was just like, ah, conviction here. But as you click the link, you kind of see that, you know, they have to kind of say your name. Yeah. Um, how hard is it to not respond to that kind of stuff? Man, let me tell you. So I, I'm not, like, obviously I'm not. Uh, afraid to speak my mind uh, or, or to stand up for what I believe in. Um, so, I, but sometimes it doesn't serve just to, to clap back at everything. Mm. Um, but so, so a lot of, a lot of stuff, I just let go. I just let it roll off my shoulder mainly cause I'm busy. Like I'm so busy doing the work of public safety that I just don't spend a whole lot of time and mental energy on public opinion. Right. Mm. And so, um, I'm going to do what's right. I'm going to do what's going to allow me at the end of my time as DA to look myself in the mirror and to look at, 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 
you know, I want to answer to God one day and know that I did this to the best of my ability and I did it the right way and not the way that was um, politically expedient, right? Um, but there's some things that, that do kind of bug me, and, and one of them sticking out right now, so I'm going to share it with you. I, um, I can't even remember who published it, um, but it was a, a story about a conviction uh, and, and it was like praising the judge. This judge is so good for the sentence that he gave the person. And number one, the sentence that they said he gave was incorrect. Uh, and two, <laughs> how do you think he got the chance to sentence that person if we didn't go into court and win the case so that you could sentence him, right? Like, comp- like the same publication had an article bashing me for not being tough enough, but then praising this judge for this, this sentence. Like, I'm like, y'all aren't even trying to be intellectually honest. Um, And so once you realize that that's what people are on and that they're not going to deal with you fairly, I mean, you just, you just write them off. You just Just, forget about it. But just in in, in an opinion sense, uh, and let me know what you think. I would think that it would be in everybody's benefit to just have that unity because every person, your job, the sheriff's job, whatever they want to do that considering a week or whatever, how they want to do stuff, everybody's job is kind of like, it's kind of centered around just criminal justice and, and society and the community and whether it's uh, creating awareness, putting people out, you know, cre- uh, making a better community, all that stuff is intertwined. So you would think that everybody on the same page. You're absolutely right. Number one is everybody's job is linked to criminal justice, right? Because it all is intertwined. Uh, public health is an issue. Mental health is an issue. Education, all those things impact crime. So you're right about that. And, and, you're doubly right because, um, so I was, I was talking to a, a civic group today and there was a prominent member of the media there and I wasn't really trying to like say anything to him, but, but someone, <laughs> someone asked, you know, what was the biggest surprise uh, once you became DA? And I said, well, I, I didn't realize that at the same time I'm trying to fight crime, I also had to fight the media, Ooh. you know? And then I kind of looked at him, which I shouldn't have done that. But, (laughs) 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 but I mean, it's like, you know, we could work together better if we could just agree that you, you might think I should do it this way and I might think I should do it that way. But if we're both trying to get to the same place, let's at least work together. Right. 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 Um, And there's not a single person who, who wants to live in a less safe community. Right. Like my parents live here. My grandma lives in Richmond County. I want Richmond County to be the safest place ever. You know, I got loved ones in Burke County. I want that to be the safest place ever. And even though they're not my district anymore, I want Columbia County to be the safest place ever. And so uh, if we could work together and if we could quit pretending as though we are at opposite ends, um, we could get a lot more done. Yeah. But that doesn't get clicks and that doesn't sell. And um, I mean, there are some pretty, I, I think, some pretty obvious um, moves to discredit black leadership in our community. Mm-hmm. And so there's a reason for all that. And uh, no weapon formed against us shall prosper. Definitely, definitely. Um, this is a question. I don't have no backstory to this question. I'm just asked. I don't know. But um, th- how, how uh, closely does or, or not, um, does a DA have to work with the police force very closely man um so part of my job is to advise law enforcement right 
So um, it's it's routine that somebody will call a member of our office to get an opinion about something um, or to request a subpoena for something. Um, we assist them with orders or sometimes language and warrants. I mean, there's, it, it is supposed to be a partnership. And one of the things that I care deeply about is restoring trust in law enforcement because, I mean, we've lost that. Mm -hmm. and, and that's, we lost that based on um, the actions of some people who, who really, it, it's, you can't even blame the community for having lost that trust, right? Like it, it lays squarely in the feet of law enforcement that there's that disconnect between law enforcement and the community, right? right? And so I think there are some real efforts um, to, to change that. And I mean, I'm telling you, man, I've, unfortunately, I'm not proud about this and I hope this doesn't get, you know, out there as, as something negative, but I have indicted a lot of officers. I've charged a lot of officers and I don't take any joy in that. We don't have enough as, as we speak. So obviously I don't like taking more off the streets. Yeah. Um, but the reality is people in this community have to know that even the ones with the badges are going to be held accountable. Yeah. And so to me, the, the benefit of getting uh, that trust back and earning that trust back is worth whatever the fallout is in charging an officer. Um, but most of the time, I'm not the one initiating those charges. You know who's charging the officers first? Their, their colleagues, the mm. sheriff. I mean, Sheriff Roundtree has, 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 uh, has charged a lot of his own people because he's trying to restore that trust and he's trying to make it clear that this is not the type of office that'll sweep some stuff under the rug. Yeah. And so, I mean, I have to give props where it's due because, I mean, if people wanted to just bury it, it could be buried, you know? But, I mean, we just had arrests very recently uh, of some officers for, for doing things that they shouldn't have. And, you know, until we get to a point where the community can trust everyone, um, it's going to continue. I know. And I see it a lot in, in the prison, in the prison, the jail um, over here. And uh, yeah, I don't know. Like if, if like just laws didn't make me not want to go to jail, <laughs> the stories from the jail make me not want to go to jail. It's Bro, been, it's been insane. <laughs> I ain't going. It's been insane. And I, yeah. I don't, you know, and I know it's the guards and stuff. And then so I think he's doing a good job on that as well. So um, definitely, like I, said, I get props with his due as well. Shout out to him for that. Um, uh, but, I want to go back real quick to just the um the first black. So when you ran um your, your first your, when you won, what did you run on? Like what was your uh I don't want to say gimmick. I think that's a that's a weird word. But what was, your, what was your story? Yeah, yeah. All right. So this is the piece that people don't listen to. So so get it. My slogan was smart on crime. And SMART was an acronym. And I spent all this time and all this money developing these videos and this website so people could learn what SMART on crime meant. It stood for strategic, measured, accountable, reasonable, and get this, tough, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, the point was I was running so that we could have the type of district attorney's office that could tell the difference between 
the monsters you got to take out and the people you need to help out. Because if I learned anything as a defense attorney, it was that the majority of my clients weren't bad people. They made bad decisions. Yeah. Right. Um, but I've represented some people who were bad <laughs> that did some terrible, evil things. Right. Um, but for the most part, those were the outliers. Uh, when I'm representing the 17 year old kid that's pulling on door handles, I don't see him as an evil person. He's a young man that didn't finish his education, doesn't have a steady job and probably needs a little home training. Right. And so that's why I work to create programs that address his problems because the prison cell ain't going to do it. Right, right, right. And, and so, um, I, I ran on that and I think people heard smart and the, the, this was 2020. You got to remember, this is a very heated election. Oh, yeah. You know, this is, this is Trump versus the rest of us. Right. And, and, um, and so all of the, the down ballot, um, candidates on the other side had the same playbook, the same, the same type of attacks that Raphael Warnock was getting. I was getting right. So there was radical Jared.com. Uh, they, they would play with my name and they'd be like, uh, they would take the, the Jared jewelers sign <laughs> and they'd be like child molesters. They went to Jared. <laughs> you know, like it, <laughs> That's I mean, crazy. That's they, insane. they put a lot of money into this and they would send out mailers with my face. They, 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 I mean, just, that, that's ridiculous kind of come with the territory, man. I guess, too. Yeah. yeah. And so when you have a whole, I mean, because that was a November election. So when you have a whole year of them just setting this narrative, I mean, it sticks. You know, there are people who, when I tell that number, you know, 48% versus 80%, um, their head explodes because they, they can't, I mean, they're like, but you're the one who just lets them all go. Because that's the, the narrative yeah. that they've gotten and that they've been fed. And I, I mean, I'll take my own ownership of it is I could have done more in my first uh, couple years to try and reach back out to those people across the aisle and let them see the real me. I mean, to be fair, I was a bit busy, you know, building an office, but, but still I, I think um, you just can't let people set narratives for you. And unfortunately that's the way that our political system works. You know, it's all about othering the other side. Right. I um, and I hate to. I'm gonna just read it just to read it. I want. I not. I'm not. I don't want to necessarily um respond to it. I want to ask you something about it. And this kind of might be funny. Say congratulations to them. I'll be waiting to see how many jobs you create for the youth, how many kids you put in the classroom instead of courtrooms, and of course, how far you reduce crime. That was your platform. And I guess they're being funny trying to say that. Um. Reducing crime, is that actually the job of the DA? Is that your job to solely reduce crime? Or do you come in when crime is already done? Well, okay. So if you take the traditional approach to prosecution, then you have no chance as a prosecutor of reducing crime because all you're doing is reacting to crime. You my, know? Point, my point is that, okay. And so I might be able to reduce crime. So we had two gang members last week uh, who, who we convicted for killing a man out in Hepzibah. Um, I can reduce their crime because they're not getting out, right? But that's not a win because we still lost the young man that they killed, right? Right, right, right. And they are leaving behind kids who now are statistically more likely to end up in the system, right? And so to me, if you're going to do it the right way and not the traditional way, 
you should consider it your job to reduce crime. And you do that by being proactive. You do that by spending, you know, as much time as you do in the courtroom out in the community talking about these issues and talking to kids. There's gangs in the schools. Prosecutors ought to be in the schools too. Law enforcement ought to be in the schools too. Um, community leaders need to be in the schools too. And so I, I do, I mean, that's, that's an added burden that I'm willing to take on because I just think it's that important. This reacting to crime is insufficient. It's inadequate to, to really make a safer community. And so understanding that there's a cycle of incarceration and understanding that we have the, the tools, if we want to use them, to break that cycle, um, that's what we ought to be doing. And, and so um, that's why you will see me always in a classroom. Um, that's why you will see me building programs like Checks Over Stripes, because I want youthful offenders to make their first time in the system their last time. Well, well, talk about that. You said it's called Checks Over Stripes. Yeah. So Checks Over Stripes is, is that, a program. Is that what I heard Drake said in that song? Yeah. Okay. I'm making sure. I'm making sure. I, I'm yeah, yeah, about yeah. it. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's, that's actually where the name comes from. But, but it's, it's helping young people choose paychecks over ending up in the prison stripes. Ah, okay. I like that. Okay. Um, and so that's, you know, so you, you were talking about Rel earlier. My, uh, he's good friends with, with my brother, Kevin. Um, you're not my blood brother, but my brother. And um, he also is my chief ADA, and he runs my violent crimes unit. He's the one who got the conviction last week. Um, but he and I would talk about clients, because at the time we were both defense attorneys, we'd talk about these issues of who we see coming through the system all the time. And there's three main deficits we always see in their lives the common denominators, if you will, lack of education, lack of economic opportunity, and lack of what I call ecosystemic values, but what my grandma would call just good home draining, right? <laughs> okay. And so um, the Checks Over Stripes program was just a, 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 something that we devised over conversations over years, right? Um, but the goal is this. So we partner with a private business that's going to give so-and-so a job day one. We, private, we partner with Augusta Tech uh, to help them get their GED or their high school diploma. Um, and that's a free service that they have through the adult education program. And then lastly, we partner with, uh, with the community organizations around the CSRA that can help teach things like financial literacy, how to write a resume, how to tie a tie. The things that I had the privilege of learning in my home that a lot of the people that we're seeing come through the system don't. Mm. And so um, it's about addressing the root causes of crime as opposed to just reacting after the fact. Because the reality is to my client who was pulling on door handles, the law allows the prosecutor to put that person in prison for 15 years. The reality is he's going to be there for like 24 months, but he's going to be there long enough to join a gang, to experience trauma, and then bring all that back to our community and keep committing crimes. I'd rather we do something better. I'd rather, instead of being tough, be smart. So I'm glad you said that. And I, I should have actually pulled it up, but I'm not. Uh, and I was seeing something on Twitter the other day. So just the start there, right? It's Twitter. But it was, and it was another podcast. And you know, everybody got a podcast now. So, but um, they were talking, and the girl made sense. It, the video cut off, very strange, but it cut off. 
and she was talking about how she wasn't for uh, certain, I don't know, certain people were just not not going to jail. Like, don't send people to prison. And they were saying, "Why? Like, would you?" It was a certain uh, uh, crime. Don't send them to prison. Now, I thought she was going to say kill them or something because the crime was kind of hanging. I'm like, why not send them to prison? And she made a good point about why not. And it's kind of what you were saying. Like, once you go there, it's like we, we've come from a, a culture of where it's, it should have been rehabilitation. Mm-hmm. And it, that seems to be no longer. It seems to be like you go there and you just like, it's like another word in itself to, to, a, to, a, to an extent. You're getting into crimes or you, 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 you're unsafe. It's unsafe conditions or... You're getting into gangs and you're not you getting you know the, the whole time you're supposed to get so you don't rehabilitate you might spend half of your three years and within the uh, 15 or you know whatever how many months you done turn into a whole new person but not for the better yeah you know so then you come back and then you got recidivism because you're going back in it anyway because when you come back mm-hmm. you're even worse than you was before they should have just kept you out the first time right especially if they're gonna give you the tools that you need in order to succeed. Right. You know, right, uh, right. because tools are important. That's that's important. So so that's why probation alone won't fix it. Right. Because probation is all right. You weren't doing well before you were you were breaking the law before. And now we're going to add all these extra rules. And we're going to expect you to do better. And actually <laughs> right? for a fee. Right. For a fee. <laughs> so, so we give you all the rules, but none of the tools to actually succeed. Right. right. And so. Um, that's why this program is built around the first offender structure. So we're targeting emerging adults, 17 to 25, because the data, the science says that if you felonize somebody during those years, the likelihood of them staying in that cycle of incarceration, astronomical, through the roof. The likelihood of getting them to stop committing crimes, if you felonize them then, very low, right? And so how do we get the benefit? Well, first offender allows you to not become a felon. But rather than just putting you on probation, we're now helping you get a job. We're helping you learn life skills. And we're also helping you get your education. And after 18 months, which is about half of what your typical probation sentence would be, if you've done everything you're supposed to, kept going to work on time, doing everything, we discharge the felony early. And so now you're eligible to go do things like take that apprenticeship at the electrical trades or um, to learn how to weld or you know, apply for an office job, whatever it might be. I mean, this is a clean background. It's, it's, it's it a helps. clean background. You can get a job. And 18 months of work history and your education and a diploma, you know? I mean, all of those things, that's, that we're talking about generational transformational impact just by saying, you know what? Rather than focusing just on what they did, let's focus on who they are and how we can stop them from doing that thing again. Question: um, This this program has any outlet ever put that on the front page? Say, hey, look at this program we got going on. Like, they haven't. We're actually doing a press uh, press conference on it uh, at the end of this month because it's it's a brand new program. Okay, cool, cool. Yeah. I'll be on lookout to see if hey, any man. other. Pro- I'm like, <laughs> yeah, <out>. come on. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Um, and, and I, I like that. Um, I like the initiatives. Um, but I read that post because you was talking about that initiative you got that you're working on and you're gonna come out with, but. Um, that post made me think of the fact that people often think that they think whatever you run on, if you win, you're just not going to do anyway. And I don't think they really take into account how much work has to be done to sometimes reverse whatever's going on anyway. So you get somewhere. Man. I mean, that's not even just in law. I'm talking retail, whatever. Like a new manager coming to this the store. The last manager must wasn't that great, whatever. 
that manager's coming in. They have to reprogram or do things the right way. So it takes some reversing first. Like they don't just come in there getting things done. You come in there, people not liking you because you, you're changing the environment, changing the culture for the better because maybe things are being done the wrong way. It's the same in law. It'll be the same thing. Yeah. I, I like the way you said that, reverse. Because, I mean, if someone drives the car into a ditch, you got to back it up <laughs> before you can start going forward again. Yeah. You know, I mean, you got to back it up and get it back straight into the road. Yep. Um, and, I mean, that's that's a lot of what we spend our time doing. And then also, I mean, we were coming in on the heels of COVID, you know, courtrooms still shut down, um, and a circuit split on top of that, you know, the great resignation on top of that. You know, I can make all the excuses, but, but I want to go back to what you said about, you know, people don't think people, once they get in power, are going to do things. Mm-hmm. There's a brand of politician that I think is all too popular where they really only care about the position and not about the people that they serve. The reason I'm not that way is not because I'm just so great, but because I'm very practical, okay? It's a lot of work to run a campaign, to beat an incumbent, to just just to be a public servant and available to people all the time because because people just don't expect you to have a life of your own at all, right? <laughs> it's just not worth all that work just to be in a position that pays me less than I could make in private practice, right? right like, right. I'm here because it's service. I'm here because God called me to it. I'm here because I see a, a, a problem and I want to fix it. The second that I don't think I can fix it, or, or the second that I don't think it's worth the effort, you know, I'll say, look, somebody better should do this, right? Um, but I just, I can't understand just sitting in the seat and not making the changes because that's, I mean, why? <laughs> yeah, yeah <laughs> you know, I mean, you know, you got to watch people who are just looking for positions. And unfortunately, you know, I mean, there's a lot of people out here who are running for these seats and, and doing things just because, they want a parking lot or a parking spot at the courthouse, not because they actually want to put in the work. Because I was in a in a forum, which is what we call our debates down here, and and someone was saying, "Well, uh, you know, when I'm DA, I'm gonna uh, uh, go to schools and I'm gonna I'm gonna work with the kids." And I'm like, "Not only are we doing that right now, but you don't have to do you don't have to be DA to do that. You don't have to be an elected official to do that. You could be there right now. That's in the fact, truth." When I was in private practice, where was I? Going and talking to the kids at the schools. Because I believe in that. It's not about politics, you know? Like, if you can get, if you can find those politicians who are willing to actually serve the people, we could do away with a lot of the problems that we have. Right. I mean, just like I look at the, let's get out of the local situation for a second and just go to national politics, you know? There's so much that both sides do agree on, but once the cameras turn on, they have to be, <laughs> they have to be, you know, I mean, like they're, WWF. <laughs> they're basically stunting for the gram, man. Like, they, you know, they know that we have an issue of, of, of labor in this country and that we need uh, documented workers to come in and work, but they don't want to agree on that. So the people who own farms are sitting there like, man, what are we supposed to do? Uh, I mean, it's the same thing, it just with with a lot of different issues. People are are pretending like um, like we don't have an issue with gun violence in this country, 
You know, they're mm-hmm. quick to say, oh, gangs, 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 but they don't want to talk about guns, 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 you know? And so I, we're looking at, you know, us being one of the countries of all the countries that are uh, comparable to us economically, socially, uh, democratically, we have four times the amount of gun violence as, as any of them. Jesus. I mean, when are we just going to talk about that, man? When are we going to recognize that we have an actual issue that we're just, you know, playing possum with? Man, I, didn't, I that, that, that's a stat I didn't know. And, and, and actually, speaking of, uh, speaking of stats, so, and I don't know how to find this information at all, but if somebody wanted to find information like on, on, on crime in Augusta, like year by year or mm. consensus, is there somewhere, something, somewhere they can go just to find that information or do they have to ask an actual lawyer or DA or I don't know. I know sometimes like in, in some, like the Augusta Chronicle might do end of the year or sometimes yeah. we'll get like end of, the, end of the year breakdown or if, if we get too much crime, they say, well, last week up until this year, we had this versus this. But how could you just find that information if you wanted to? I just feel like that's important to people because a lot of times we get information from the media and the media only going to put out sometimes whatever narrative they want to put out. Right. So like I said, right. the 48, 80%, I would never have known that if you didn't tell me that. Right. Because I've never seen that in no publication with your name. <laughs> <laughs> I always see whatever they don't like that you've done or whatever they don't like you said. So, Yeah. yeah you know, I, I, I know that the FBI will regularly publish stuff, but it, I mean, we're talking about getting into the granular like of Augusta. Um, that's hard. That's hard. I actually don't know um, that there is a good way for you to access that information, at least in a digestible form. Right, 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 right. So, like, I know um, I need to double check my numbers, but I'm pretty sure we had about 200 fewer felony cases sent to our office last year than the year before. So that tells me we're on the right trend. Right, right. Um, But... um, Year to year, it's kind of hard just to, to pull out that data. And, and I'll tell you, one of the issues that I, I hope I can fix in the next four years, for my office at least, is there's no one who's paid just to manage the data, you know? Mm. Um, and so if you're going to be making policy, if you're going to be um, making requests of the county for additional funding, whatever it should be tied to actual data and statistics. Um, but I would have to pull someone out of a courtroom to do that or, you know, out of, a, out of an investigative role to do that. Um, and, and so there should probably be a full-time data, data analyst. I mean, I, I don't know how, how this works, but I'm just asking. You couldn't just make that a position? I, I don't know how this works. So just, if you can't, just let me know. But, like, that couldn't just be a position and then, like, Somebody get hired for it, and or you have to go through like what's the thing? What, what I learned in school, uh, three branches of government type stuff. Like yeah, so checks so and balances. I, I have to, I have to ask the county to create that presi- that position for me mm. because I can't fund it with my state budget. So I, gotcha. I, I handle different budgets. Uh, my state budget has you know there's statutes that deal with what positions they can pay for. Um, and so counties have a little more flexibility, but that's still asking, you know, another governmental body um, to to say, hey, you know, I know that you need X amount more garbage trucks, um, but I need this data person over here. You know, we are all all your department heads, all of your elected officials, we're all kind of lobbying for yeah. our different offices. And so it's tough. It's it's tough to to make 
asks like that. Um, I, I, not to cut you, I would wonder like if maybe, and it's just me thinking as a person who just live here, like maybe in, it could be a chronicle or just online, because we could be looking at online stuff now too, where maybe every quarter, we can get like quarterly, quarterly numbers. So whereas at least we can say, well, last quarter, you know, just like just like retail, just like any any other business, you know, you get your quarter numbers. So maybe at the end of a quarter, we can get how many homicides we had this year, how many mm-hmm. uh, felony crimes we had this year, you know, just things like that. So we at least know what's going on yeah. um, as the year progresses. I know weekly it probably be too much, you know, because sometimes it's slow weeks. Slow weeks is good though, but yeah. I'm just saying sometimes it's slow weeks. Well, yeah, and then there's also you just you have to be careful about knee-jerk reactions. So Mm. in 2020, when I was talking about criminal justice reform, people were like, yeah, we were coming on the heels of Ahmaud Arbery and George Floyd and Breonna Taylor. So like people were, that was the the public consciousness. But then as we're going through COVID some more and that crime spiked and particularly homicides spiked, um, then you started to hear people talking more about Man, it's time to it's time to, to crack down. It's time to lock people up, and and it's like we can't allow the the natural changes and the natural you know uh, ebbs and flows to be um, shaping our policy. You know, we we can't have a knee jerk response to what is a long term trend. Like co- crime in this country is trending down, yeah, and a lot of meaningful metrics but the the covid spike was a real thing um and people you know i think sometimes we've been preconditioned to think that the the appropriate response to crime is simply the prison cell as opposed to uh i was uh i was in a training today and something that that's why i couldn't text back earlier i was in a training and some they said something not i'm thinking what you're saying now is um you know, high expectations versus high high pressure. So, you know, the expectation is, you know, of course you want crime down, you want this, that, and third. But that knee-jerk reaction you're talking about is the pressure because now there's so much going on that we're being um, reactive instead of being proactive, you know. Right. So just set the high standard and go from there. But then when things not going away or we feel like crime is, is higher because the media or whatever, or we see... I mean, in Augusta, I know it's small, but we see three murders in, in, in two months. It's like, oh, my God, the world is ending. So then you want to call your name or say, they ain't doing their job. This person ain't doing their job. But really, it's just sometimes it's how it go, you know. But you can't really make decisions off just high pressure, you know. You got to kind of think long term and then not just right now, just for the future as well, which I like what you said about crime um, and, and being tough and versus being smart, right? What, it, when people ask about the toughness of crime, what – in, in your mind, to them, maybe you can speak for them. I don't know. Uh, what, what do you What do you assume they mean when you say be tough on crime? <laughs> so are they Are they expecting you to throw the book at every single person? Like, if you grab a car door, lock them up for fifteen years. If you, like, what what's being tough and what's not? Let me tell you, man. I, I think I, I know what people think they mean. I think in their minds, people are making decisions about crime, uh, well, criminals are making decisions about their actions based on rational thought and rational kind of well-thought-out plans. Mm-hmm. And that's just not the reality of, of what most crime is. It's passionate. It's, it's in the moment. Um, and so um, 
what we see. So I, I, I'll just I'll just tell a story. I was a uh, a defense attorney, and I represented a guy who um, who couldn't read or write. Oh man! And uh, he was sixty something years old, pours concrete mm. for a living. You know, I mean, like he, but but statistically, he's an anomaly because statistically, with him not having those those educational backgrounds. He should have been a felon like a thousand times over. Right, right. right. But he wasn't. He worked really hard. He provided for his family. Um, church going guy. And um, but he had one problem. He had a suspended license. And the only way that he could pay it back was to go to work. Well, you go to work. You got to drive there. You drive to work. You get caught. Boom. Another suspended license happens again. Boom. But this time it's a felony. Oh, wow. And I had an assistant district attorney in this circuit tell me, well, probation's not working, so he's just going to have to go to prison. That's insane. I'm talking about no felony history, over 60 years old, and his only offense is driving on a suspended license. You want to put him in prison? Bro, let me tell you, they held that line, and that's what, that's what tough means right like that's that's what that's what being tough that's a very tough sentence it's also dumb it's also counterproductive it's actually more likely to produce future crime and criminality than just saying hey let's press pause rather than entering this felony on his record why don't we just wait let him raise the three thousand however many dollars it was for him to pay for his license let him physically go to a license place to, to take his test because he has to go at a certain time because he can't read or write. Right. So he can't just take the test like a normal person does. Like why don't somebody just stop long enough to figure out why he keeps doing the same thing and help him stop doing that, you know? But I think when people hear tough, they, they think that the person who drives on a suspended license is the same as the person who breaks into the cars and who, who is the same as the person who deals drugs out of their cars. And they think that all of it, if you just... If you just are really, someone said, if you don't sweat the small stuff, if you just take it all super seriously, that all these people are going to stop committing crimes. Well, that would be true if the mandatory minimums had ever worked. I mean, we've had (laughs) mandatory minimums for for decades. Do you think we're winning the war on drugs? No, not at all. Not at all. You know, but I still have legislators and and fellow DAs from across the the state talking about, you know, we need more mandatory minimums. Are you out of your mind? You know, like all we've done is managed to become the most incarcerated nation and still, like I said, not even close to being one of the safest for the amount of wealth that we have in this country. And so uh, that's a very long way of saying I think people think tough on crime means you can scare people out of doing what their poverty, what their mental health, what their substance use disorder whatever it might be, is dictating that they're going to do, right? And I think also sometimes we fall into the trap of grading people on a rubric that doesn't apply to them because their circumstances growing up were were just vastly different, you know? And their realities right now and their opportunities right now are vastly different. So you can't judge uh, Jermaine on the same scale as you judge... Kevin, 
right? Yeah. Because Kevin grew up differently. Kevin had a different uh, uh, experience, you know, and so you might be able to work really hard and have a podcast and, and be a, a positive light in the community, but he might have had, you know, multiple adverse childhood experiences throughout his life. He right. might have seen his dad go away at a young age. He might have seen his mom get shot in front of him. Like, you don't know. And so to to try and, and build this kind of this rubric of what Kevin should should live up to just because it works for you and your kids, it doesn't make sense. It's not it's not just. And, and, and I know you said a lot, and, and some of it seems like some people have the theory of, you know, Break a crime, you're just a criminal. You know, like mm. no matter what the crime is, you jaywalk, I want you in jail. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? You, so I, I, I get that. And I think it, there is, um, I think race plays a role sometimes in that too. I see it sometimes, I'm trying to say the publication. In certain uh, publications, I'll see that in the comments. I don't follow a page, I just have to go to it sometimes. I see mm-hmm. the comments and like, race, it just play a big part. You see a certain, you see a certain demographic, I'll say. And you read the article, like, okay, well, you know, I, I can see it. But they, they don't see that side in the article. It's just like, throw the book at him, throw the book at him. Or you'll see them say your name like, well, he'll be fine because Jared's the DA, 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 da. <laughs> you know, and it's like, uh. but I, But I, I, I understand. Um, and I guess because, like I said, I, I read and, I, and I, I look at different things culture-wise, uh, culturally. When you're trying to build a culture, it's, it's, it's different things you got to look at. You can't look at something at face value all the time. Sometimes there's other of extenuating factors you have to think about. So when you say you trying to save a kid or, you know, maybe a a dad that has um, multiple kids and he did something small, I can see why you don't throw the book at that person because it can have a trickle effect on other things. So not only thinking about my term now, I'm thinking about long term. I'm thinking about how this may impact this person. So you tell the story. I do want to tell you this one thing. I had a guy on, I'll say his name because he's on before. I actually seen the podcast. Shout out to him. His name is Evan. And, um, I, I did more research after doing a podcast with him, like two years later, right? And it was a good episode. It did really, really well. Cool guy. He had just came home from doing like six years on a 15-year sentence from something he did when he was 16. He, he didn't get a chance to graduate. You know, like he just had to go. He did. He finished school, but he had to, the, the next month went to jail. That was it. Like the sentence was done. Felt bad for him as he talked about it. But like you said, you said sometimes crime is done on spur of the moment. He, read, he, tell, he told me the story. Whether it's true or not, you know, but I mean, whatever. But the story was, he said, you know, the guy, his neighborhood was like, yo, I'm about to go to Columbia County and, and go to this gas station and rob it. I come along. It's, it's 2 in the morning. He's 16. Mm. Already something wrong, and he's out at 2 in the morning. Right. Right? So you're talking about adversaries, right? That's, that's, that's in life expectancy and stuff like that and things that you have to encounter. All right, cool. That happens. Pipeline from, you know, whatever to jail. He go through it. But as I read later on in his story, um, something said to bring it up. In the, in the podcast we did, he said his dad had died. I didn't ask him how. I don't ask him questions sometimes. I read a story not even three months ago. I promise to you. His dad died. Um, he seen his dad die. Mm. The cops killed him in front of the house. Wow. I didn't get a chance to ask him because he's back in jail now. But I felt, as you're saying this stuff right now, I, I see him in a lot, and I see a lot of people that I speak to that can benefit from the things that you're saying. So whereas somebody might say that's not tough enough on crime, I also see, well, I've seen what tough then mess it up for a lot of families, a lot of other people, because they couldn't get the proper tools they needed. They didn't need tough. They need the tools. Yeah. So. And, and let me tell you, man, it's not like, it's not even 
a racial argument anymore because yes, we know that you're looking at the courtroom and there's a whole lot more of us than anyone else, right? But when I talk about these things, I, I thought that I was going to get so much pushback from people. I remember when I was running the first time, I was, I was walking a neighborhood out in Columbia County, and I already know what the deal is. I know that, like, odds are stacked against me walking <laughs> yeah. a neighborhood o- over there trying to talk about my Democratic candidacy. And um, this big, burly, corn-fed country dude comes out, and I'm just like, oh, man, he's about to, if not you know, hold me at gunpoint. Like he's, he's going to like <laughs> tell me about myself. And he said, Hey man, what are you going to do about these nonviolent drug offenders? You better, you better give them a chance. And I was like, my guy, this is wow. what I'm talking about. Like, so, so there's, there's so many people who get what we're talking about right now and understand that there's a better way to do justice. And it's there's there's Republicans, there's Democrats across the board, right? Um, and so th- when I say like these false dividing lines, mm-hmm. there really is just that bad narrative. But I think the majority of Americans understand that this is the time and this is the moment to do the right things. I think we just have to seize that moment and not get in our own way, right, you know, right. not letting the old kind of generational curses get in the way of us making the best decisions uh, for the next generations. So uh, I know, like I said, you know you won in 2020. Now, I'm going to ask just a general question. Now, I've seen some 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 reasons why this anthem, your, your campaign. Um, the, some people think you won solely because you're black. They, and and this, me being a black man, I'm just, I'm just be honest with you, right? I don't. I don't see too many times where being black has like benefited us, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so when I see that, I'm like, if that's the case, I ain't too. Cra- I'm not happy. I'm not too unhappy about it. But um, do you think that had anything to do with you winning one, and or or, or do you think it was solely just a, a fresh, a breath of fresh air, in, in 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 a system that needed it? I really do not believe that it was because I was black, and I get why some people have to tell themselves that to feel better, right? Um, But the reality is I pulled 32% of the vote in Columbia County. They said a Democrat, especially a young black Democrat who didn't have a name, um, couldn't get more than 25, you know? Um, Some of the biggest uh, donors and contributors to my campaign were Republicans. Oh, wow. uh, and, And were but saw the difference between, oh, there's talking tough and then there's actually being effective at reducing crime and we've gotten a whole bunch of talking tough and not a whole lot of efficacy, right? Um, there's a lot of people who, who recognized that you ought to be able to access your DA, you ought to be able to, to, to hear what they have to say about things and not just be told to buzz off. Um, and so I, I just don't, I, I just don't, believe that. I mean, I, I, I lived it. And so I just know that when I was walking neighborhoods in Pepper Ridge, they weren't talking about, oh, you black, I'm going to vote for you. They're like, well, what are you going to do? What are you going to do different? You know, because that's what people, especially our people are starved for mm-hmm. is for people to actually get in power and do the right things and not just try and protect their seats. You know, there would be a really easy way for me to just 
if, if I wanted to do it the easy way, if I wanted to, to appease them folk and just keep things how, how it were, I would not have a challenger right now. I'd be safe. I also would not have changed anything for the better. Mm. I would have wasted this God-given opportunity to bring change to a system that desperately needed it. And so um, black people don't vote as a monolith the way that they think we do. Um, we don't just vote color the way that they think we do. Um, and, and I know that because I just, even to this day, people want to know who are you, Yeah, you know, who are your people, <laughs> but also um, what are you doing for me? What are you doing to change things and make them better? You know, um, if people just voted by their color, uh, Kamala Harris would have won the, the nomination <laughs> in 2020. You know what yeah, I'm saying? Like, that's man. not what it's about. So you make a good point. I'm not going to, I'm not going to say too much on Kamala because I don't want to go there. But but, you know, you made a good point. And I think to, to, to what you to what you're saying and, and a lot of things that's, that involves you. I think a lot of times people look at um, bigger scale stuff, but on a smaller scale. So even when you say I'm not bringing up no particular case like that, but I know like you'll get a lot of flack for one case here or one case there. It's just them two that just be lingering and they just keep bringing them two up. Mm -hmm. Not saying well, anybody forget about it. I'm not saying that, but we're not thinking about it sometimes and boom, every time you do something mm -hmm. good, like, hey, remember he did this? Remember, remember this? <laughs> remember? So it's not a bunch of things. It's just one or two things, you know, and, but they'll use that to make it be everything, if that makes sense. So I like the fact you said that black people don't vote for black people because I do think even though you're the first black DA, we had first black before in political or in, in them kind of roles, right? And I think because you had some who just didn't do what they said they were gonna do, you had some who made it their business to not make black people their constituents at all. Mm -hmm. I learned that from Kim Macon. And then you had, you know, you got some who just, just didn't do right. So now when you hear a black uh, candidate for anything, we asking questions. I actually, we probably ask more questions than other demographics about that person because we want to make sure we represent it right. Right. So like it's tougher. To, it's kind of it's tougher to get the black vote sometimes because if you don't believe that you real just off genuine conversation, that's enough to be like I ain't vote for him. You know, I don't like that. I think people say things about whether it's round or whatever based off stuff they seen that had nothing to do with his job. Just, I seen him at Red Lives and he was acting this way. Or I seen him on this show and he said this. Them twins or whatever. Like people are really stick you to like a, a something small you do now, especially if you're black, because that's how we, we kind of want to be represented the right way. So I think it's harder for, for, <laughs> for, for you to have one in 2020 anyway, because that was a, a rough time. I mean, 2019, but that was a rough time. Um, so even you went, I can't say it was because you're black. Um, I work somewhere where I seen you doing the work a lot anyway. Uh, I think you kind of beat, beat the streets and you know, you did what you're supposed to do. Uh, which brings to my next question is like, how do you plan on like doing things this go around? Man, uh, you're talking about like the next four years? Yeah. Man, there's so much that still has to change, man. And I, I'm proud of the work that we've done. Um, I'm really proud of it. And, and I, I say that not to big up myself, but I have really good staff and really dedicated people who have made a lot of change be possible, right? In really what is a short amount of space, four years goes like that. Um, 
but but there are still some things that that I want to do. So so one of the things that I said in 2020 that I, I still repeat to this day is kids belong in classrooms, not courtrooms. And so we created the Prosecutors in Schools program. We created the Youth Diversion to the Arts program. Um, but we want to expand on that. So I'm having meetings with the school system about how we can be more involved on the front end. And I'm working with other community partners to try and find ways. So the Youth Diversion to the Arts program goes through Jesse Norman School, right? Oh, okay. Um, and so it basically, for those who don't know, it's a, it's, a, it's a bypass. It's rather than putting this kid in juvenile court, we put them with some mentors and some new peers and give them an opportunity just to, to shine his light in a different way. Right. Perfect. Perfect. Um, but not every kid wants to do art. So where's the 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 sports version of that? Where's mm-hmm. the, uh, the the? I mean, some kids want to work. Some kids yeah. want to you know start making money. Like, how do we engage with them and, and help them kind of get to the interests that they have? Right. Because you got to meet them where they are. Some of them want want to be a, a podcast. You know, and and do. Um, all of that. And so how do we work with our different partners to expand that? Um, but I'll tell you, man, uh, I really, I want to see us as a people kind of demand more by way of proactive justice and to do more in that space. And I want, I mean, if, if I could have everything that I wanted um, I want a full-time alternative sentencing prosecutor. Like right now I've got some prosecutors who do it on the side, but I want a full-time person who's not just helping run the programs, but also helping us find new ones that can impact the community in a better way. Because I've got a program that deals with, uh, with the, the emerging adults, first time offender, but there's another category of offender that we can't forget about, and that's the re- the repeat offender. Right, right. And, and you know, some people don't have any compassion for the repeat offender, but if that person never got the opportunity of a checks over stripes because it didn't exist, I was going to ask that question. Yep. You know, like how can you then expect them? You know, there's someone who 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 could actually benefit from it, right? Yeah. And who's done committing crimes if we give them the tools to be done. Um, and then another thing, kind of what I'm really going to devote the next year to um, is restorative justice. There's a big need in our community for uh, victim-centered restorative practices, not just in the juvenile setting, but, I mean, there are some serious cases um, in the felony, like, adult world that victims are getting left behind, um, and so are defendants and their families um, just because the system itself is adversarial. So imagine imagine being a victim of a crime and um, there's no way for the system to make you whole. You know, like putting this person in prison isn't going to help me. You know how often I hear a victim tell me, I just want to be able to ask them why me? Hmm. Or I just want to know, I, I just want them to know how much of an impact that had on me, you know, so that maybe they think better the next time around. And there are groups, there are, 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 um, are organizations that engage in these restorative practices. And, and maybe it would behoove me to, to explain a little bit about restorative justice. Yeah, if we please. Have time. Um, 
so restorative justice says the victim has to agree and want to engage with the defendant. And the defendant has to agree and be willing to engage with the victim. And offline, apart from one another, there's, I'll just say a mediator, but the, the restorative justice facilitator is working with the victim through their issues, also working with the defendant on the other side. And then the goal is that they come together in, in, a, in a group setting, you know, and work through the defendant having to hear the impact that it took on the on the victim, whatever right, they right, did, right. but also um, the victim getting to say, this is how you can repair this harm to me, and them coming to an agreement. And sometimes that is a better result than me just saying to the victim, well, he did this, and you know it's worth five years, uh, so we'll offer him two years and three years of probation on the back end. You know, like that, that kind of sometimes excludes the victim from the process. Yeah. And oftentimes it is unsatisfactory because they're like an afterthought. Um, and really, if the defendant, if the only time the defendant gets to hear the victim impact statement is actual minutes before the judge is about to sentence him, he ain't listening yeah, to that. Yeah. You right. know, he's worried yep. about what the, the person in the black dress is about to do. Yeah. Right. And so, um, the studies show that it increases empathy. It increases the ability for the defendant to associate his actions with the harm that, that took place. Um, and it allows the victim to actually be heard and seen and acknowledged by the defendant. And there's a lot of value in that. And so um, it's not right for every case. It's, it's not right for, for some of our more serious cases. Um, but there are some where that is really the best option. Mm -hmm. um, and, and it doesn't necessarily mean that the person doesn't go to prison at the end of the day. You know, um, it doesn't necessarily mean that they don't, uh, you know, take the charge or, or whatever, or have to pay the money back, whatever it is. But um, it just gives the victim a, a greater voice and a, a more agency in the process. Um, and the studies show that, the, the instance of recidivism is lower when you do a restorative practice. And they do it a lot in schools. Um, that's, that's kind of one of the main places where, where you'll see restorative justice practices. But there's a really good application for adults too. And we're trying to partner with organizations to make that a reality for our circuit. Because right now, there's no one in the CSRA that's doing that that I'm aware of. I was going to say, you know, just hearing hearing how you explained it, uh, it's, it, to me, it would seem like that would actually help with more of the rehabilitation as well, to know that, to sit with that. If you go, even if you're going through some time still, to be able to sit with that during that time would also help with rehabilitation. It's your way of thinking and just knowing how your actions impacted somebody, somebody else, somebody else's life. I think a lot of times that, that's not a thing. You don't, get the, you don't get that side. And a lot of times the victims need rehab too. Yeah, you know? yeah. I mean, like that's it's a really traumatic experience to have someone enter your home without your permission, you know, yeah. like or even your car. That's a that's a, a level of violation that most people aren't dealing with or aren't expecting to deal with when it happens. And I mean, you know, for them to have a voice and for them to have the opportunity to dictate what making it right looks like. Yeah. Not just based on what some statute says. But like on what, you know, 
we're going to come together and I'm going to tell you what it, what it means for you to make this right for me. Yeah. Um, you know, that's powerful, man. That, that gives a real opportunity. If you was king for a day, right, <laughs> and you could snap your fingers and make one wish come true, what would that be? I, stop people from hurting other people. That would just be it, man. S- simple like, yet impactful. It, that's honestly, man, if I could get people to stop hurting other people, the rest of this is really easy to work out, man. <laughs> um, but that's the the one thing that um, I think is just plaguing our community is people don't have any respect for other people's lives, for other people's bodies, you know, for the property either. But I'm really talking about, you know, physical crime is really, really damaging to our community. Okay. Uh, uh, what about your upbringing, education, experience uh, makes you the best for the job you do? Uh, first, I got this job because God wanted me to have it. And so I'm not afraid to do it the right way because so long as I'm doing God's will, can nobody stop it? You know, um, there's a whole lot of attacks. There's a whole lot of people trying to stop it. And they haven't been able to yet. And they're not going to be able to like when God's done with me being DA, that's when I'll stop. Right. So that allows me to do things that I think other people if given the position might be a little too afraid to do. Okay. Um, it allows me to speak truth in rooms that other people might shy away from. Uh, it allows me to make decisions that are right and just, even when they're unpopular, uh, and deal with the fallout, right? So that's, that's one piece of it. Um, and then the other is I spent time both as a prosecutor and a defense attorney and an educator. So I've seen so many different sides of it, and so that just informs the work that I do. Mm. Um, and so I, I think... That, for one thing, the, the fearlessness that only comes with faith and the perspective that only comes with a vast experience outside of just being a prosecutor. I give you a lot of credit, too, because a lot of time when you interview, um, I, I'm going to say people in, 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 your, in your world, you know, that you work in, especially uh, politicians. I don't know about politicians, but you ask them, like, hey, what's your favorite color? They will not tell you a color. They will give you, like, a bunch of words, and they won't, <laughs> say, they won't answer the question, but that'd be the end. they'll just stop. So I like that you just kind of answering the question because I, I, I was unsure how it would go. I'm like, nah, I don't think he's political, but, you know, we'll see. But I like everything you've been saying is kind of clear cut. Nothing, I, at least not to me. I don't know, you know. Um, what are some unexpected challenges of the job? Like, I know we spoke about something, but just I'm actually got some questions I wanted to run down so I can say that I answered the question. I asked you the question. So um, what are some unexpected challenges of the job? Okay, so... Uh Fighting crime while fighting the media. I told you that one before Definitely. already. Um, but we'll move that to the side for now. One of the biggest challenges is recruiting talent and recruiting diverse talent. Um, but especially with attorneys, attorneys are very mobile. That's a, that's a degree that allows you to just put up a sign and be a job as opposed to asking for one, right? And right, so, right. Um, if you're not paying well or if you are not um, providing 
a benefit to work in government service, you know, the attorneys can just say, I can do bad all on my own, you know? Um, pretty much every attorney who works for me, if they just decided to open their own firm tomorrow, would make more money by the end of the year than they could. Oh, with dang, me. yeah. Um, but worse than that is they make about 20 to 30 grand less than assistant district attorneys make in the metro area, right? Um, and the reality is we're only about 7% difference cost of living from metro Atlanta. So it's, it's a big difference, you know? Um, and so that's been an unexpected challenge is in the, the COVID kind of great resignation that every industry saw, uh, we really saw it amongst prosecutors because only certain type of people want to be prosecutors in the first place. <laughs> um, and then of those, only a very small number want to be prosecutors in the Augusta area, right? Like if you don't have a tie here, you're not necessarily seeking out Augusta when you could be in Fulton or DeKalb or wherever. So that's been a really difficult challenge. Um, yeah. So um, I also want to ask, uh, you know, I know I asked earlier about the DA, but I'm, I kind of want to just get a, 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 a runner. I want to revisit that a little bit. Why do you think it's important to this community? Like having an actual DA what, the, or the job of the DA, um, what is its important importance to Augusta? I mean, it shapes the way that justice looks for your community, man. You know, if we just went back to the way it was always done, we'd keep locking up people for driving on a suspended license. And, you know, the, the real cases that, that matter and impact community safety would keep getting lost. Um, I mean, I'll tell you, just think about this, man. When I was running in 2020, there wasn't, out of, out of 30 attorneys, there wasn't a single black assistant district attorney. Wow. Uh, and then when I started saying that on the campaign trail, she went and hired one. <laughs> but like, <laughs> so, so walking in the door just by myself, I doubled the diversity of the attorneys in the office, right? Like the problem with that is sometimes in this community, we're trying cases with, with witnesses and individuals and, and defendants who, like, you got to speak a certain language. Mm -hmm. You've got to understand what they were saying in that message that you're trying to explain to the jury uh, proves motive, right? Um, you, you've got to, to, to be able to connect with a jury pool that naturally distrusts the office of the prosecutor and law enforcement in general based on the way that they've been treated for decades, yeah. right? And so um, diversity is a strength. And um, to be honest, I forgot your original question. <laughs> but uh, Just why it's important to, to well, so, so, yeah, so it's important to have a district attorney that, that is, that not only reflects the community, but also respects the community and isn't going to bring some BS um, just because that's, that's politically expedient. You know, I got church, church ladies and, and grandmas all across this community that would have no problem calling me to the carpet 
if I wasn't doing it right. <laughs> right. You know, right. and you got to have someone who's actually responsive to those people and, and not uh, not just hiding in their office away from the community. Um, I, I know I'm looking at some stuff now too. Um, veterans Court. Can you speak on that a little bit? Yeah, man. So that's crazy. So, so drug court. You're familiar with drug court? Yeah. Basically, well, I, I, ain't, I ain't never it, been. Yeah, yeah. You okay. know what I mean. But you know, you know the concept because that's the most popular one. Um, you've got someone who's committing crimes because they have a drug problem. You put them in treatment, and if they do everything that they're supposed to, uh, the felony goes away. They're not convicted felons. Great, great program, right? But veterans court was supposed to work the same way, with one main difference. If you were a veteran and you wanted to avail yourself of that program, you had to become a felon in order to, to use the services. So we use the term, you know, drug court was pre-adjudication and veterans court was post-adjudication. Mm. And do you know the term phantom rules? No. It basically, you ever heard someone say, you know, like, why do we do it this way? Oh, we just always do it that way. Right, you I know? heard that, yeah. That, that, that's a phantom rule, right? Like, it's, you don't actually have a rule that says you have to do it that way. It's just the way that it has always been. Gotcha. All right? And so what I found when I came into office was veterans court being post-adjudication was just a phantom rule. The only reason that it wasn't is because no one had said, hey, we should treat our veterans at least as good as we treat, you know, our people who are suffering from, from drug addiction. Right. We should at least treat our veterans better, or at least on the same level playing field. And so we, uh, we just with a signature, we, we made veterans court pre-adjudication, and now veterans can get the treatment that they need through the VA without losing their benefits of being able to go on base uh, and, and, and you know, avail themselves of the privileges that they earn through service to the country. That's dope, man. You, so yeah. it's funny, like I said, you're talking to somebody, sitting them down. That's why I do this kind of kind of work too, because it's just to be informative, to make people aware. You know, like I said, it's Black history, so that you being the first Black D is definitely commendable and, and, and respect in its history. At the end of the day, um, and it's February, so of course it makes sense to do it now. Yeah. So time was just right for me, honestly. I feel like it worked out perfect, right? But at the same time, uh, I like to just bring awareness to people. Like I said, I'm not from here, but at the same time, I'll be trying to show people that where I'm from. Like it's just. I know y'all think it's just grass and dirt roads. It's not. It's not that. We have professional people here. We have people that's doing great things in the community here, just like anywhere else. And to me, that like you kind of defy the whole more than the masses as well. You know, um, after everything you're doing that, is defying kind of everything that they say Augusta's about. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so it's really dope to see um, our people do it, but just it being done, whether it's not our people or not, but. It's good to see it when it's when it's your own as well. So I definitely appreciate that. I appreciate um, you saying that, man. Nah, you know, I mean, and, 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 and the thing too, I'm not the type of media person. Like, I think, like, it's funny you say tough on crime, and I think I, I've, I've, when you, when you, when you, in, when you enter like the political world, I think sometimes people expect that they be like, okay, let's see if he asks them this. It's like, well, the job is really to make sure I get people to understand who this person is. Now, if I have a question about something, then that's that's a little different. But I, I had a, a couple years ago, I had a guy, um, Joe Trainer, I think Trainer, he, he passed away though. Mm, yeah. And I felt bad because when I had him on, it was only audio back then. Like, this wasn't a thing back then, all this stuff. This podcast first started. Him and Jordan Johnson have his little tiff or whatever. And I spoke to Jordan before I was doing it because he called me. All right. So as I'm doing, uh, as I'm podcasting with Joe, uh, trainer, uh, he's saying things. And I guess because I'm privy to something that somebody else told me. Mind you, I don't know if it's true or not. I'm just going with the flow. I'm kind of stopping and, and, and like questioning him about it, you know. 
And as I sat back and, and, and listened to it, and somebody called me, Ken Macon called me and said, hey, did you speak to somebody before you spoke to him? I, I told him no, right? But the thing, the reality of it is I did. And I, I know he can feel it because I'm not in that world. But I'm, I'm questioning as if I'm in that world. And I never want to make somebody feel like that again. You know, like I felt like mm. he, he had a good time and he wanted to come back on. But I, for me, an immediate person, person, I was like, I don't like how I probably did that. It wasn't mm. comfortable. You should come here and kind of be comfortable and just feel like it's a good look for whatever you're trying to do. You know, it shouldn't be like you on trial for something that you probably did, did and didn't do. Especially if I don't know it, you know. So I try to approach this where it's, it's commendable. And I try to, I, if, I, if it's a tough question, I'm going to ask a tough question. But at the same time, I realize I don't want anybody losing their job for a podcast either. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> That's just me. I, I, I think long term, I had um, Alfonso Forrest on one time. And I remember the second one we did, we just took it down because I think he said, he was drinking. You shouldn't say. I'm like, All right, I, I can work with you on that. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. But for the most part, yeah, I don't even. I just like people to be comfortable. I want people to realize that Augusta has great people and great things here as well. And that's what the the platform is for. Now, other platforms are made for other reasons. You know, you can go there and get that. But here, yeah. I want it to be. Let me find out about them. So if somebody never watched any of the debates. They don't watch nothing you ever you ever talked about. They never seen you paving the streets to to to, to get votes and nothing like that. I want them to watch it and say, you know what? He sounds educated. He sounds, I like his demeanor. Or if they don't, whether they don't, but it's a true thing. I'm not, it's no, it's no gimmick here, you know? It's just yeah. organic conversation. And that's what I, I, I want. I wanted that for you because I feel like I haven't watched another podcast you did, but media-wise of what I've seen when it comes to you, it's been all like narr- narratives. Mm-hmm. And I just, I didn't, I didn't like that. So. As a black media person, I was like, I gotta get this. I gotta get. I gotta get him. I gotta get him right. I gotta get him right. Well, man, I've had fun, and I really appreciate the opportunity. Nah, definitely, man. Um, so I know you gotta run it again this year, right? So, yeah. um, it says vote uh, May twenty first to reelect uh, Jared Williams as our district attorney. Um, how are you feeling about that? How you how are you feeling? Your chances are. How are you feeling? Um, these next couple months, you gotta you know, hit the ground running and and, and do some things, make yeah. some appearances. Yeah, man, I, you know, I feel really good. You know, I I feel good about it because I've prayed about it and, you know, I've, I've talked to God because I genuinely, like, when it's my time to go, like, when it's my time to move on and do something else, like, I'm not going to be the one holding on, <laughs> Right. you know? Right, right, Um, I truly, this is service, but, I mean, like, you feel it. It is service, man. Like, when you're up, you know, at, at, I was at the office at 3.30 this morning, like, it's service, right? Wow. Um, but I don't feel good that we're still doing the same things to each other, right? Like the person that's running against me had the opportunity to, um, to like I said, to be in the schools already, to, to be doing some of this work already. Um, but it just seems like whenever somebody gets something where we're we're working against each other Mm -hmm. instead of to help each other and to improve the community. And so I I hate that it's kind of, we're put in these, these adversarial positions. Um, And I I guess to me, I, I, um, the only reason that it really matters is because I don't want to see the work and the progress that we've been able to create go by the wayside because somebody simply wants a position and doesn't actually want to do the work. Cause mm. I, I just wish there should be a rule that like, if you're going to run for something, you got to like 
shadow the person who's doing it for a week. <laughs> I like that. Idea, just a week would give you a little taste of, of whether that's really what you want to do with your life. Um, I mean, and, and I get it, man. I, it's not my seat. Like, I don't, I'm not one of those people who feels like, oh, you know, you challenging me. Like, it is the people's seat. But if you're going to go out for it, like, be about the people's work. And don't let that just be lip service, you know? Um, so I feel positive because I feel like it's still God's will for me to serve in this area. Um, but I, I don't like the way that it's going to end up being, you know, two people who probably should be working together right. and building something, um, being put in a position where at least some people are going to want us to tear each other down. You know, I, I also say, and in, in, in just locally and in, in local um, politics and just that, that the world, um, sometimes first black also means another black is coming, you know, or, you know, like, <laughs> or, or let's put another black against this person, divide and conquer. Sometimes that's what first black also means as well. Cause you mentioned Obama earlier and depending on the black person you ask, you know, they either got great things to say about Obama or they got horrible things to Obama. And sometimes it's just from media. There's yeah. no due diligence of like, I saw this, didn't like this. Right. I read this, I, I watched him say this, I didn't like it. It's more so, oh, he didn't do nothing. And, and, and this hearsay, stuff that you would see in, in publications, you know. Um, but a lot of times when somebody is a first black or, 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 or black and in charge or, or just black, whatever, right? It's a lot of uh, divide and conquer that comes with that. And you have people putting about it and people back to do this. Like you said, um, I don't know the person, but I will say that I think if you need the position in order to do the work, when the work can be done without the position, there's something to say about that, right? Like you said, anybody can talk. I can talk in school. I'm at, I talk in the school twice this month. I'm ready. I'm going to do it twice. I'm not running for DA. I don't plan to, right? right. But uh, I can do the work without the but without the title. So I, I definitely agree with you on that. I think uh, that's something to be looked at. I think for every Warnock, there's a Herschel Walker. <laughs> <laughs> hey man, but look, I, I definitely wish you the best. Um, I, I think you, you you're doing great things. Obviously, um, uh, I, I I I hate that you have to fight the media. You know what I'm saying? But uh, this is not one you have to fight. All right. Well, so. I appreciate that. Can I say one more thing? Definitely. Man? And I'm going to try not to get emotional when I say it. But um, our community lost a giant this past week. And um, the first lawyer I ever got to shake his hand and he looked like me was Ed Tarver. And mm. um, he, he recently passed unexpectedly. And I just want to encourage the people that listen to you to pray for his family, pray for our community because we lost a good one and, and we lost somebody who um, not only was about being a first, but also was about bringing other people up behind him so that they could be uh, a first. And, and I'm the beneficiary of his tutelage and his mentorship. No, definitely. Um, you know, rest in peace and, and definitely condolences to his family. Yeah, definitely, man. Well, I, I, I appreciate you, man. I didn't mean to end on, no, no, on no, a sad note, good, but man. I just, you know, I, I, that's really important to me. Well, good note, you know, go vote for Jared Williams, you know what I'm saying? May 21st. May so. 21st, baby. Support you know. your DA in May. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> All right, man, Morning Masters Podcast. Yeah, I appreciate you coming through, man. This was good. This class, uh, and then I, uh, I went and spoke to the Rotary meeting, and some media was there. And so this young brother uh, that I would never seen before, he's, he's so new he doesn't have his cards yet, um, just super professional, 
you know, young black kid, but like just like you were, just super professional. Seemed like he'd been doing it forever, um, and did just—I mean, just asked engaging questions. I mean, the interview you and I just had, and the questions you just asked, were so much more thought-provoking than what I typically get from our local media. And so to see this new kind of new kid come in and do it, like I was really impressed with him. And so then to end on this, man, it's just been a really it's been a really good day. So I appreciate that. I man. appreciate Definitely. it. Definitely, man. Appreciate that. I always try to strive to have good interviews and just, you know, people have people enjoy their time here. Yeah, man. Oh, well, I'll see you again after, man. Yeah, text me too. And like if you ever need, cause like uh, 